Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful you're here because people apparently need people, huh? That song is interesting for me as a a definite introvert, but I think in my heart I know it's true that uh, all of us need people. We, We need one another and Sometimes it doesn't always go well. Sometimes uh, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Sometimes it, it sharpens it really roughly, and it's a little tough at times. But I know that the, the Word of God constantly comes back to this idea that our faith, that belief in Christ, is a corporate kind of faith. It's a, it's a church. It's a people. It's, he describes it as the body of Christ. And so if we're going to simplify life, the one thing we absolutely should not simplify is, I'm going to stop doing this church thing. I'm going to stop fellowshipping with believers. That's not part of simplifying. In fact, it's the very thing necessary uh, to to put in place this simple kind of life that follows Christ and has joy and peace because people speak into one another's lives. There's this wonderful thing that God is doing in his body. But we have to admit something. We have to admit something this morning that we live in an age where Everything has gotten just way more complicated, way bigger. In fact, we invented the term here in America, supersize. You know, we, we are the, the nation of supersized. Our people, in fact, are supersized if you look around the world. And I'm not just talking about what McDonald's has to say. You can pop this image up. Don't get hungry. I hope, I hope it doesn't make you hungry. But this, this supersizing idea, I, I've noticed they don't ask this quite as much as they used to. I haven't heard it the last few times, but they used to say, hey, you want to biggie size that or whatever. And if you ever have the audacity to say yes to that question, you're going to have to two-hand whatever soda they hand you. I mean, it's going to be five gallons of Coke, and nobody needs that much soda in their life. Although, where's, is Michael Caine in here? Yeah, yeah, you do. That man is, a, is going to become Coca-Cola. I'm impressed by his abilities. But it's not just McDonald's. Everything is more complex, more chaotic, more busy. And, and like the health that comes from supersizing, just because we have more technology for communication does not mean we have more quality communication. In fact, ironically, I think it's been the opposite, that we have a tendency to, I'm just going to text my parents, I'm just going to Facebook them, rather than go see them or call them. These things are not the same. And you're probably experiencing this. If you're feeling some symptoms of, of loneliness or feeling disconnected from friends and family, it may be because social media just simply isn't enough. In fact, it's a big misdirect. You get on there and you thought you were going to talk to your friends and you got on a whole other rabbit trail because that's what that thing is designed to do. It's built for that. We have supersized all of our stuff, but we have actually downsized our quality time with others. We just have. That is the nature of our current culture. But people need people. Why? Well, I'm going to get into that today, that what it really truly means. It's not just a simple cliche. It's not just something that I want to pose to you without any evidence. That God has truly made us to be the body of Christ. Not individually members, but a body. And first of all, I want to give you this. I think these are blanks in your notes. Why do we need fellowship with other people? First, because God made us this way. He made us this way. Here's how I know. You don't have to get very far into Genesis before you go, people need people. (laughs) In fact, Jesus, God looks at everything he's created. He said, the light's good. The earth is good. The animals are good. It's all good. He looks at man and says, this ain't good. 
It's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because he's, he's in desperate need of community. And so what does God do? He makes him a family. And then he begins to build from there because it's not good for man to be alone. That's Genesis 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 18. Dr. Taylor at UCLA says this, Friendships play a far more important role in maintaining good health and having a long life than most people realize. Social ties are the cheapest medicine we've got. The best thing you can do to stay healthy is stay connected. Isn't that wild? In fact, I talked about this a few weeks ago in that book, The Blue Zones, that the happiest people in the world are the ones that are very connected to their communities and and the longest living people in the world too. Here's the second why we need to fellowship with other people. Because we can't grow spiritually without being connected to the body of Christ. Colossians, Paul writes, chapter 2, He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. One professor says of this, One of the worst things that you can do to someone is isolate them. This is true. We know this when it comes to the, the way you get information out of a child, the way you deal with a prisoner. You learn this very early as an adult, certainly as a parent. That, In fact, with all four of my children, all you have to do is put them in isolation, and it'll crack them. They'll break. And it's hard to break my four. I don't know about yours, but isolation has always worked. And if it doesn't work for you, maybe it's because there's too many things inside of their cell that are worth playing with. Remove the fun from their isolation. It's, I don't even have to do that with mine. These are little social creatures I've invented. I don't know where they came from. They're not like me in that. So, In the book of Romans, where we're going to be today, Christ has called us to something new. To something more. More than just social media and just a little bit of text here and there. Something way bigger. Chapter 12 of Romans, the Apostle Paul Here he appealed to the believers there in Rome to fully devote themselves to God. I'm not going to read all of Romans chapter 12 today, just a few verses for you. But it begins that chapter by saying you have a new mind. You have a renewed mind and to be transformed because of what Christ has done in your heart and in your mind. And because of that, now he leans into the text we're going to read together today. He instructed them because of that new renewed mind that they could think of themselves differently and think of one another differently in Christ Jesus. So we can have this new way of thinking too. I believe the text is going to give us three really clear ways of thinking about ourselves and one another in Christ. Let's read a few verses together. We're in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. Here's what it says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, This is, here's your first challenge, church. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, the many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts. That differ according to the grace given to us. Let us, church, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. 
the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now listen to this. These are the marks of a genuine love. Verse 9, let love be genuine. And here's how that looks. Abhor, that that means to hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Boy, just that last little section's got a ton to unpack. But let's take it together. Verses 3 through 13, here's what we see. This new way of thinking in Christ has caused first this, that we can find our true identity in belonging to one another. We can find our true identity in belonging to one another. This word identity, this word belonging is like hot button stuff for our current culture. And it's rightfully so in that this is truly at the heart of what everybody's hungry for. What they're really looking for is, who am I and where do I belong? That's the question of humanity. That's the question of every person. Paul begins in a very interesting place when asked that question. (laughs) When answering that question, if you will. (laughs) Our culture, let's be honest, and our nature, it's not just an American thing. It's our very nature to look in the mirror generally to look at ourselves and go, I'm pretty good. I'm all right. It's not too bad. I, I, I like how I'm shaping up. Or I'm, Maybe for some of you, you're much harder on yourself. I don't know. But for a lot of people, we think very highly of ourselves. Or we just think a lot about ourselves. Whether it's good or bad, we're think, spending a lot of time thinking about me. Paul says, you want to know what it means to belong in Christ? Think of yourself less. Think less of yourself, sure. But that is in what? He says, in the measure of the faith of the grace you've been given. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He's got one of the better ideas I've ever heard, and that is that esteem is not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think he's right about that, that as believers, what we're called to, the things that you see at the back half of today's text have everything to do with how we interact with each other. They have very little to do with how we interact with self. That is, is, I'm going to put more time in showing genuine love to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that that's going to build me up. I don't have to to concern myself with esteem and and this this whole experience. Because Paul is here saying, think less of yourself in the measure of faith. The word there, measure, in verse 3 is this idea of the metric. The word there is literally where we get the word metric. That is, you put this thing up, you put a ruler up to it, and... Whatever God has given you, whatever grace he's given you, think about that. That's how you think of yourself. That means, church, here's here's the great news. Yeah, I'm up here preaching, and maybe that's not everybody's gift. Maybe not everyone's been given the gift of teaching. But we've all been given a a massive measuring stick as one. That is, the grace that has been given, the faith that's been given, is beyond my arm's length for the amount of grace that God has given in his son Jesus. So if I'm thinking about myself, Paul says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, if you're thinking about you, you can think about yourself less because you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner who has been set free because of what Christ has done. So when I think about me, I think about Jesus. 
When I think more about me, I end up immediately turning and looking at others and saying, all right, well, God, what do you want me to do for everyone else? Because when I see what I want to see in me is Christ in me. That's what Paul is beginning to say here, that my identity now is in Christ. He goes on in verse 4 and 5 to say, in fact, I have now been grafted into this body. That this amazing thing has now occurred. That we would come in this place. That you guys would waste your Sunday mornings. When you could be sleeping. You could be cooking eggs right now. (laughs) And bacon. Maybe you did that. You morning people. I don't know. You might have knocked that out before you even got here. Pancakes. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have all that for you this morning. That's okay. Hey, you could have been doing everything today. You could, have been, you could have been sleeping. You could have been hitting the golf course. I don't know. But you chose to be here. And the, the world around you is baffled by that. They're confused as to why you would waste your Sunday morning. What a wonderful opportunity to begin your day prepping chicken wings for the big game that's coming on at one. I mean, you could be doing anything. But Paul says, no, I've been grafted into something new. My experience has been changed. So that when I come into this place and sit shoulder to shoulder with people who love Jesus with me, something amazing is beginning. I begin to start my week in a whole different way. He says, and more than that, I no longer belong to me. I belong to this body, that we are a family, that God would put this amalgamation of people together and call them family. It's fascinating. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter how much we make. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter our skin color. None of that stuff applies All that applies is, are you Christ's? Then you're in the body. Then you're in the church. And that's what he's doing in us. Romans 12, 5, in another version, it says, Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. Soak that one up for a second. That means our accountability is with one another. That the way in which I treat my my parents and my my wife and my children, there's a certain amount of love there that I should be showing you as well. That we belong to each other in that capacity. That some of you, in fact, I do view you this way, that some of you I feel like are my brothers and sisters in a real familial way. And I wish I want it more so. Some of you I feel like are my grandparents. I'm not going to look at you right now because I don't want you to know that. I feel that way about you. Some of you feel like some of you feel like brothers and siblings. Some of you feel sort of like my children. Not, and I don't mean that weird, but like we've been in a discipleship relationship together. I see you growing, and I, I feel not like I'm older than you, but I feel this certain relationship. Like it's awesome to see you grow. We belong to one another. Ephesians 2.19, it says, You belong in God's household with every other Christian. Look, Chip Ingram in his book, Living on the Edge, he says the issue of the 21st century, he says, is where do I belong? Belonging is is a God-given human need, he says. We all need and want the security of belonging to a family, belonging to a group, belonging to a team, belonging with people who need us just like we need them in a healthy and productive way. The fragmentation of the family and the rapid growth in technology have made people more mobile, and isolated than ever before. The aching need to belong is at an all-time high. So first of all, church, here's my prayer this morning for you. If you're newer around here, you've only come a few times, maybe this is your first time with us. Maybe you're just checking us out. You're really unsure at this point, I bet, how you feel about us. Here's what I'm praying and longing for more than anything, is that you would feel like you belong. That this would feel like a family. That we would be more and more tight-knit over time. 
that this would truly be a place where you could grow. And for those of you who have been here a while, who have been, some of you on the journey almost the whole time with me, that you would feel a sense that I know my role in this family. I know where I serve. I know where I belong. I know where I'm not only growing, but I'm watching other people grow. I'm praying for that this year more than anything. I want to let you in just a little bit on the vision I kind of have for this year. And it's the vision for both of our campuses here in Rocky Mountain and here in Wilson is that we would do a whole lot better job this year of leadership development. The Bible calls that discipleship, but we want to go a step further than what we've been doing, where we get together and begin to you know, mine the scriptures and, and work out our salvation. All of that is extremely important. But I want to see people serving in their capacities and their, their greatest gifts. And I have a feeling we've got a lot of people sitting on the couch right now that would love to do more. That's part of what I want to do this year is that people would belong to the family and would know where their gifts are. Here's the second The second way that our thinking has changed us, yes, we have a true identity, we belong. Now we can find our true purpose in serving one another. Now this one is a stretch for some of you in the room. You're thinking, I mean, the thing I really, really enjoy is being served. Who are you in the audience? It's okay. I enjoy being served. I am the kind of guy who hates Golden Corral. Okay? Take that. Some of you Golden Corral lovers... I understand why you are the way that you are. I'm completely not that, that, and here's why. It's stupid. It's not the food. It's not the food, although I wouldn't know. I haven't eaten there in so long, I don't know. Food's probably trash. I have no clue. I don't want to make my plate. I've paid a lot of money for you to bring me my plate. Isn't that dumb? Because I like, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I like being served. I like it. You know what I want on my birthday? I want to wake up and have breakfast in bed or something like that. That sounds heavenly. I don't need a bunch of stuff. Just give me eggs and bacon. I'm down. I like being served. And I bet a lot of you do too. But I have discovered something else. That there's a certain kind of joy. There's a certain kind of amazing thing that God does in my life when I serve in my strength. When I serve in the area that God has created me to serve. There's nothing better than that. That there's, there's something amazing that God does. And Paul lists just a few things here. This isn't everything. This isn't meant to be a comprehensive list. He gives us this list at verse 6 through 8. He says, you have gifts, church, people, believers, you have gifts. According to whatever grace God has given, he makes that decision. I don't know how God does this, but I trust him. He's decided, all right, I'm going to let that, 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 that loony guy, Jonathan, be the preacher of this church. I'm going to do that. I don't know. I didn't ask for it, but that's what he's done. And I'm going to put, I'm going to put all kinds of people in his midst, midst that have these, these fantastic gifts. And it's according to whatever God chose and what he designed. Now, Paul lists a few of these things. He says, if prophecy, if service, if teaching, you see all these gifts here in 6 through 8. The key is, <laughs> underneath this, Whatever you've been given, he says, use them. Use them. That the family that's doing really well, the family that's connected, the family that's growing, every member is using their gifts. You can, you can look at the human family, that's true. When one of the parents, because of illness or something else or lack of or, or depression or something happens and it, it brings either the father or the mother, they, they go down for a season, guess what happens? A lot of things around the house stop getting done. And if there's children involved, they start to look at that and go, ooh, we're getting a little insecure, we're feeling a little scared about this. Now, 
I'm not here to talk about marriage necessarily, but when that occurs in a healthy marriage, this idea of 50-50 has never been true in a healthy marriage, just so you know. That's not how this works. <laughs> it's not even really 100-100 because that's hard to maintain. That's kind of irrealistic. It's more like my wife's 70 today. I've got to make up her 30. Oh, my, my wife's way below, or, or maybe she's, she's motivated today, and I, there's, there's more of this give and take that, all right. And I, I've seen this recently on a podcast. This couple was talking about the idea that they literally have this conversation every day. When they come home from work, they say, hey, where are you at? On, where's your tank at? I'll be honest, I'm at like 50%. All right, so am I. So let's be kind to each other because we're both half full, all right? Let's take care of each other because there's room here for the evil one to destroy our relationship because we're not, we're not whole. And in that very spot, we pray together and we say, all right, God, we need you to make up the difference. And that's always true. But this is true in families that the children, they matter too. When, you, when you're in that phase of life where the kids are extremely needy, when they need changing, when they need fed, and some of you would argue that's not even the worst phase. Wait, wait until they start back talking. I'm learning something new. Teenager, I think, might be worse. I, I, I'm learning this right now. They're very argumentative. It's nonstop. And they begin to think you don't know what you're talking about. And if you argue with them long enough, you might start to think they're right. Because they get so... And I have four, so I've got them in all these phases. One needs me to make her Pop-Tarts and Milky. I need Milky and Pop-Tarts, Dad. And I'm like, I'm, I know this phase. I know how to deal with this phase, but it takes physical energy. This older one, no physical energy required, tons of mental energy. And I'm tired. And they're getting every, they're getting my social, my physical, my mental. I think they're getting after my spiritual energy at this point. This is what it means to belong to a family, is that every single piece of the family is doing its part, using its gifts. Kids at their very best bring joy. Kids at their very best bring uh, glory to their parents, if you will, that you see evidence of their growth, and it is fantastic to observe. At their worst, they will completely drain your battery. Marriages can be like that, too. Older parenting can be like that too. That this could be the kind of relationship where you can look to your father and mother and say, that's my mentor. Or these can be the kind of people that drain your energy. Paul says, no, here's, here's what we're called to as the body of believers. We're not called to perfection. We're called so much like a good marriage to come to this relationship and say, hey, I'm not whole. I've got some gaps. I've got some problems. But here's what I do have. I have the gift of service. And in that, I'm going to serve to my best. I have the gift of hospitality, he says. This is quite a range of gifts just in this little bite that he gives. That I would, I would show hospitality with, 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 I think he says, let me remind myself here. It's at the very end. With cheerfulness. Or no, contribution, service. Yeah, the mercy, the acts of mercy was with cheer. The leading was with zeal, so passion. Contrib contribution with generous. So if you have this gift of giving, that you would give it generously out of a heart of cheerfulness. That that's what right looks like. So church, you're coming in, this, in these doors. Just know this, that the Holy Spirit of God is calling you to more. He's calling you to then more, more than just sitting and, and, and worshiping with us. There might be a season where you need to work that out and decide if you even like us. I hope that happens. But as that begins to change, you feel like this is family. Paul, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit says, use your gifts. And that your purpose is underneath that. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. He says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Something happens the more you use it. I used to, I used to hear this growing up too. I'm, it has scriptural principles in it, but the idea that whatever gifts you've been given, you either use them or you lose them. You ever heard this principle? It kind of comes from the, the, the parable of the talents. Now, I don't think it's completely meant to be taken that way, but here's what I know for sure, that if I, if I stop using my musical talent, I'm going to get rusty, and I'm going to get rusty fast. If I stop singing, you know this thing right here is an instrument? These vocal cords need stretching. If I stop singing for a month, for a couple months, I'll get up here and I'll sound raspy and messy. If, if, if I decide to stop playing, I'm going to unlearn some things. Now, it's not that the gift just escapes me, but the older I get, I've noticed something. It takes me longer to get back to even where I was. Paul says, now use your gifts. Peter says, use your gifts to serve one another. I've seen something amazing at both of our churches, uh, the, the campus in Wilson and the one here in Rocky Mount, that something amazing can happen even in, in, inside of a family when service is observed. That some people are reached by faith. Hear me when I say this. Some people are reached by your faith, not by what you say, but how you live and what you do. I would say maybe arguably more so. That some people need to see that you love them and that you serve them because of who you are in Christ way more than they're ready to hear what you have to say. And this is something I've seen many times as an agnostic or an an atheistic husband attending. Maybe he'll come to church with his wife and sometimes he'll come on the big holidays or whatever. But when... When, she begin, when he begins to see the way that she serves her family, that, that's a beginning. That starts to work. But I heard this story not long ago uh, from our Wilson campus, and that is there was, there was a, a husband who was a, an agnostic man, and his wife fell ill. And the thing that blew his mind was not so much how she'd been serving and she'd been faithful, but this, this thing we have at our church called manna mills. A lot, of churches, a lot of churches have stuff like this. We call ours manna mills, that when you get sick or when you have a child or when you're in the hospital, that when we're doing good, when we're doing our best work, that we're bringing food to you, when we're serving you, and that this husband was surprised that he didn't have to ask for this to happen. Wasn't much of the cook of his house. And all of a sudden, these, these sweet ladies and these sweet people started showing up at his door with food. Here's what he said to our pastoral staff. He says, it wasn't anybody's words. It wasn't anything anybody ever said to me. It was the service of those people bringing me meals that made me go, there's something different going on. There's a lot of stories like that. That when, we're, when the church is whole, when the church is really finding its true purpose, when you as an individual are serving in your true purpose, God can really use that. And often he will use that. That's the very mechanism that he wants to use to reach people. So whatever friends and family and and whatever people you've been praying for and longing for, look for more and more opportunities to use your gifts beyond just your words. Show them, you know what, God loves you. And here's, here's how I can show you that. Some of you are cooks, some of you aren't. You are the wrong people to be working in manna mills. But some of you are great at it. Some of you have 
all kinds of other gifts. I'm terrible with, with vehicles. And so I don't need to be serving you by coming and helping you deal with whatever mechanical problem you have in your car. I'll come and lay hands on it and pray for it. But I do that with my cars all the time. It, God, I think, he has some other patience plan with me. I'm just saying. I'm not saying he doesn't answer prayer. He's not interested in answering that prayer because he wants to test me a little more and make me understand something that I've still not gotten. That's why I keep buying lemons. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Are you in a, are you in a relationship in a relationship with one another that's like this, where you're able to use your gifts, where you're able to serve one another beyond just your immediate family, that the family of God is becoming a place where you belong. We, we do some things here at the church to try to model that. They're not perfect. They're really not. We have these things called community groups. We talk about them a lot, and some of you are like, oh, not this again. I, I tried one of those out, and the people are really weird, and they do this and that. Yeah, guess what? You're weird too. We're all weird. We all have quirks. And you start being together outside of these walls, and people say stuff. You're like, I didn't know, I didn't know Christians said stuff like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that's how we were going to communicate. And you, get, you start getting in these family environments, meeting in the home where you see people. Some people don't keep their house as tidy as you. Some people are way cleaner than you. You get this variety and you go, okay, people are real. What does it look like to be a part of a family? That's what we're trying to do in community groups. And it's very imperfect because we're imperfect. But you celebrate together. You learn each other's birthdays. You learn what everybody likes. You start to learn in people's tendencies. And more than that, you start to learn where you can help. In my small group, you know, we... We're a, we're a group of very imperfect people, including me. But we're getting better at serving each other. We, we fail all the time, but we've, we've had people with deaths in their families. We've had people in great needs. And I'm thankful when people use that group text as like, all right, this is a helpline. And we can figure out how to use our gifts to serve one another. This is what we're doing at church, becoming a family. Will you find your true purpose in serving one another? Now, let me spend ample time right here to close out with this third way because it's where Paul exerts, it seems, the most energy. By the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, love must be genuine. And this is the third way, that we can find true happiness, true joy in loving one another. In loving one another. Oh, yeah, this is one of those kind of churches. Oh, this is one of those love one another kind of churches. Well... That should be the mark of every church that exists because it's what Paul has taught. It's what, the, it's what Jesus has taught. He says that people will know that you're one of my disciples by the love you have for one another. Love should be the mark of a church. Absolutely. And this word says that love, that genuine love looks like this. And then he gives 13, you can count them, 13 exhortations concerning love. 13, right back to back. This took me a little bit of time this week. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you because I like to do word studies and look up every single one of these words. That took a hot second. Go, wow, Paul, you got a lot to say about genuine love. This word love here is, again, of course, agape. But you can pop up a chart for me here. This is what's interesting about what, what's happening here in the Scriptures. There's four, just so you know, there are four types of love when it comes to, to Greek thought, if you will. There's eros, 
which is this passionate, romantic kind of love. There's phileo, which is a friendship kind of love. There's agape, which we often see in the Bible, which is this unconditional, selfless God kind of love. And then there's storge, which is this affectionate, familial kind of love, if you will. What's fascinating about this section of Scripture is three of those appear just in these few verses. Those are phileo, agape, and storge. And, and that's, that's one of the only places that, that word storge even appears in the Bible. So Paul, m- maybe arguably you could say this is maybe the love chapter. This, y'all have been to a lot of weddings, I bet. 1 Corinthians 15 is often the go-to, if you will, for a lot of weddings. Love, love, love is, uh, has hope, and, it, and if without love you're like a clanging symbol. All that stuff. There's a lot of love in that section. But here we've got quite a bit. I think Paul's trying to give uh, the Corinthians a run for their money here with this, this love section. And he says, look, here's what it looks like for it to be genuine. Here's what it looks like for us to really cling to loving one another rightly. First of all, some of us need to hear this first one. Do you, do you hate what is evil? Do you detest, do you abhor what is evil? Now let me give you an example of that. It is pretty evil for us to, to talk poorly about one another and to, to, to look down on one another. That, that's that's kind of evil. It's not a great thing when we, we, we talk, when we talk poorly about each other. And this is something that happens at churches all over. That this really bad gossiping bug hits. And it's tore down churches I've seen. But here's, here's, a, here's taking that even more to your heart, all right? That you would challenge your very thoughts when you're having that conversation with someone after, after service today. That person that comes and talks to you every single week that you're like, I just don't really care for that guy. That you would challenge yourself. You would challenge your heart and say, that's not of God. That you would do a self-check in that moment. That when you get home later on and you and your hu- husband, you and your wife are beginning to nitpick everything that just happened at service. That you would begin to step back and say, okay, hold on. We've been, really, we've been really hard on that Pastor Jonathan today. Let's just, yeah, we don't like, we don't like some things about him. But it, that you would step back for a minute and whoever it is that you're thinking about, whoever it is you're talking about, you know, this is, this is a demanding thing even for the pastor and his, and his wife. That we would come, you know what we do every Sunday? We go home and whether I like it or not, we begin to analyze this service. And I really want to take the rest of the day off when it comes to analyzing this service because it's all real fresh to me. Everything feels very painful to me. So if you tell me right after service, hey, you really blew it in that sermon. Can you wait till Monday? Just wait till Monday. I'll be ready for it Monday. But after service, I'm going to feel like you just shot me in the chest. My wife's not super good at this, y'all. Right after service, she needs to tell me the stuff that went wrong. All right. And what I can do immediately is begin to think badly of people. And I have, to, I have to pull back and say, no, wait a minute. Do I, do I hate what is evil? That what, what God wants me to do is relate to you and grow and that we would be more like brothers and sisters, that we would be like family. And yeah, that doesn't mean we don't tell each other, hey, you kind of, that wasn't it. You know, you kind of missed the mark on that. It's okay to have correction, but the way I think about you and feel about you is so important. Now, there's a whole lot of other things I could get into about abhorring what is evil. That you would, there's so many evil things that have happened throughout churches in our society. And the question is, are you looking at those things and going, man, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to hate what is evil like God does. He says, hold fast to what is good. That means instead of that, I'm going to cling to the good stuff. And I have to do this exercise every week. All right, what was it that went well? Let's, 
And if you're going to come up to me afterwards, hey, give me three ups first. Then give me three downs, all right? Maybe wait till Monday, I'm just saying. But if you're going to give me some critiques, give me three ups. Hey, you know what? Your hair looked good today. I'll take that. I'll take that. that makes me happy. Give me three ups and then three downs. This is a good way to live. Hold fast to what is good. And here's an amazing verse. Verse 10, he says, love one another. This is the word phileo storgos. It's literally a combination of two loves. He says, brotherly love mixed with affectionate love. That that's how you would show it. And then verse 10, outdo one another in honor. Now that would be new. That would be new, wouldn't it? In your workplaces, is, is there a tendency for a people to honor one another? Is there a tendency in your workplace, in your family, to give applause, even when you're not the boss, that you would say, hey, good job, bud. Good job. You know what I observed in every business I ever worked outside of the church? People are so competitive that they can't celebrate the victories of others. They can't do it. They can't honor each other because if I honor you, you're in the same line of work as me. If I honor you, then I'm, then I'm giving you credit and you're going to keep excelling past me. And my whole mission in this career is to be on top. Sad when that happens in the church. Sometimes you get some divas in the worship team. They get up here and they don't do so good when, when Pastor Jonathan says, Hey, you know what, Christy, you sang really good today. And you'd be thankful to hear that, I guess. But what if, what if someone else to your left or your right was like, yeah, but I sing good today. He didn't say nothing to me about it. And I might fail like that. I might not show everybody honor. But the, the verb here, outdo one another. That this would be, our mission here as a church is that we would be lifting each other up. No, you're cool. No, I like you more. That would be a new, that would be a whole kind of new. And, and it would be genuine. He says, let it be genuine. So it's not just a bunch of, of, of gimmicky, uh, you know, compliments and whatnot, that we would look for ways to honor one another, that, that we would look for ways, you know what, you're really incredible at that. I'm, in fact, you're, you're far better than me at that. And, and there's a lot of gaps. The more I'm in ministry, the more I begin to realize I have a ton of spiritual gaps. My ability of discernment, very low. I, I will misread people all the time. My wife's a little better. Some of y'all are incredible at that. Some of you have incredible gifts. And honor looks like going up and saying, man, you're amazing at that. And I want to see you do it more. And I'm not, I'm not worried about competition. Church isn't about competition. Church is about a place where I get to see my brothers and sisters and my parents and my grandparents excel. Outdo one another in showing honor. And don't be lazy. He says, don't be slothful, verse 7, in showing passion, zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Be patient in tribulation. Verse 12, this will solve a lot of your problems. Be constant in prayer. That the way in which we interact with each other would be poured over in prayer. Some of you, maybe you're struggling right now in community groups. Maybe you're struggling when you come in this place. Some of you have service roles. Maybe, maybe you're serving a lot with the children. One of the most important things we're doing week in and week out is serving our children. And maybe for some of you it's gotten very exhausting. Maybe it's, maybe it's getting old for you. Be constant in prayer. That is, on my way here, I'm washing that with the word. All right, God, help me to be my very best for them. And if, if this is an area you want me to continue serving, enrich my spirit. Give me more power. If not, show me where I should be. Show me where I should serve. Be constant in prayer. And then lastly, verse 13, show hospitality, contribute to the needs of the saints. 
Paul connects love with oneness. And he connects loving one another with joy and happiness. Look what he says to the Philippian church. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, he says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Loving one another is a mark of the true believer. 1 John chapter 4 it says, Whoever says, I love God, but hates another believer is a liar. That's pretty strong language. Did y'all hear that? People who don't love other believers, whom they have seen, can't love God, whom they've not seen. Christ has given us this commandment, the person who loves God must also love other believers. Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to this amazing calling that you almost avoided, but you showed up today. That if I'm calling myself a believer, a follower of Christ who loves God, that means i got to love that person to my, my left and my right. i got to love that person that also loves God with me. Our Declaration of Independence, I want to end with this thought. I hope this hits. It kind of meant something to me, but we'll see if it hits you. Our, our, our declaration states this thing that you've probably heard in schools, you've probably heard many times, is that we as human beings, we as uh, members of this society, have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is this ringing a bell? hope so. You, know, you want to know something interesting, though. Not a lot of nations in the world have such a, a declaration, if you will, that we have a right as people to pursue happiness, to pursue life and freedom. That's kind of unusual for our society, but you know what's crazy? According to a recent World Happiness Report, I didn't even know this was a thing, but it's a thing. Among the nations surveyed, and they surveyed a bunch of people, millions in fact, the U.S. ranked 15th among nations surveyed on happiness. We didn't make the top 10 even though we have the pursuit of happiness as a possibility. Jeffrey Sachs, one economist, he blamed a lot of social factors, surprisingly, for this. Not not economic factors, more social factors. He noticed that fewer and fewer people seem to have control. As they reported, they seem to have control of the choices in their lives. They feel like their lives are out of control. Fewer people feel like others can, can, they can count on others in times of difficulty. That less and less people have someone they can call when something really hits the fan. Fewer people trust politicians. That one wasn't super surprising. And judged by data on charitable giving, people are far less generous towards others than they used to be. He concluded this, America's crisis is, in short, not an economic crisis, it's a social crisis. I think he's right about that. That crisis has invaded the church. I want to make that argument. That what's truly happened in our society is beginning to be mirrored in our churches. And I'm not saying our church is that way, but I want to work hard as a, as a family of believers to run in the opposite direction. And the only way we're going to do that well as a, as, as a family is that we would share. That we would first say, you know what, I belong. I'm choosing this motley crew. 
that we'll look around and say, all right, these are my people. And because of that, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to use my gifts. I don't know what all those are yet, but I'm going to learn here. But above all else, I'm going to let my love be genuine. Will you find your true happiness here, loving others, holding fast to what is good, outdoing one another and showing honor? That you would begin to express that in this place, maybe when you go out to lunch together today, maybe when you go to small groups this week, that you would work really hard on maybe one of these exhortations that Paul's given. We were made for God and for one another. Having this renewed mind, do you choose to to think in this new way, thinking less of yourself, really thinking about yourself less so that you can find your true identity in one another in Christ Jesus and your true purpose here in serving one another and your happiness in loving one another. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we first of all thank you that you're a God who, who chose to help us belong. And that is a root question for most of us, really for all of us. Is that we're hungry for this concept of, all right, who am I? What do you want me to do in this life? What is my purpose? This is the question we're all asking. And maybe we, maybe we get far down in this journey and we're like, I'm not sure if what I'm doing right now is it. I'm not sure if these are the people I should be around. And we start to ask these kind of doubtful questions. But God, you have created us and designed us and loved us. and You have a purpose for us. And it was never meant... For us to just go it alone. You didn't design us for ourselves. No, you designed us for yourself. So at its, at its basic, most basic principle, God, you designed us and created us to be in community with you first. And then community with others. This is how you shaped us. No matter how introverted we are. And God, first of all, I come to you just with a, thank, a thankful heart. That you loved us enough to give us a place where we could truly belong, where we could have a sense that our debts had been paid, that our guilt has, has been dealt with, that our shame has been set aside. That's the kind of community you've invited us into. I'm so thankful for that, God. And I'm prayerful for myself first and for your people that you would help this to be the kind of church that models this extremely well, that this would be the kind of community that finds its true happiness in how much it loves one another. These, these words that we've been given outdo one another. God, I, I, I'm praying for those people in the room. There's, I, I know this for sure. Not every relationship here is, is intact in, in, a whole, in a holy way. There's, there's probably some people right here sitting maybe on opposite sides of the room that have had a, a little tiff here or there. Maybe something's gone wrong in the past. I pray you would begin to work on their heart and work on their mind right now. Maybe there'd be reconciliation today. Maybe this is something they'd be working towards because the, the, the Holy Spirit inside them is just longing for that. God, maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just that we've not, we've not really taken the extra time, the extra, the extra step of really serving one another. I have such a tendency for this, Lord. I repent of that, that I'm often in my own head, in my own space, thinking about my own little family. And God, I recognize at the same time that when I serve, when I really use my gifts, when I do what you've called me to do, that's when I feel a sense, just a sense of purpose and such a, such a sense that, God, you're using me. And I want that. I long for that, Lord. Help me in my heart. Help those, your church, these people, Lord, that maybe aren't in the areas of service, not using their gifts as they should. That, God, you would remind them that, you would encourage them, that you would push them towards 
the things you've called them to, and that, God, you would reach our community. Over 50,000 people in Nash County aren't going to church, according to the last census. It may be more than that, really. Tons of people that may not, may not be moved by our words, but are likely to be moved by the way we love one another and love this city, the way in which we serve. God, would you stir our hearts for that? More than anything, God, give us assurance right now that you are working in our lives and that you love us and that that would motivate us to more. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.